I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. The title of today's message is Shepherds, Sheep, and Humility. You say, well, what in the world do they have in common? When you leave today, hopefully you'll know. <coughs> I read about a fellow this week that he said, one thing is for sure, I'm more humble than most everybody else in the world. And another guy said, uh, I'm going to write a book on humility, and I know that uh, it's going to be a bestseller. You know, it's kind of hard to preach about humility without sounding proud. It's kind of like trying to preach on self-righteousness without sounding self-righteous. But we'll start this way. If y'all are humble, if there's anybody humble here, raise your hand. <laughs> it's kind of hard, isn't it? It's kind of hard to say that we are. But would you agree with me that humility is not seen nearly as often today as it ought to be? We live in a day where we want to get in our two cents worth, especially when you look on social media, Twitter and uh, Facebook and Instagram and other forms of social media. There are people that post things on there that probably would never say those things to a person in real life, but humility seems like it's people that have that are, are few and far between, but did you know that humility is a... Really, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's that gentleness and kindness and self-control. That, that's part of the fruit of the Spirit. So as we open our Bibles today, 1 Peter 5, look at verse 1 beginning. And we'll read down to verse 7. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So as we look at this idea of shepherds, sheep, and humility, Understand that all through Peter's letter that he wrote here, that we know as 1 Peter, he's talked about submission and humility, hasn't he? Hasn't he? he spent most of the third chapter talking about it. He talked about how we should be submissive to our government, uh, submissive to our bosses, uh, submissive in the home, different areas in which we find ourselves. And so he brings that topic back up today. And first of all, he tells us that Elders are to be humble. Elders are to be humble. You know, it, it's sort of difficult as a pastor to talk about pastors being humble. It's a, it, it's a challenge to preach on that. The Lord's been talking to me about that all week. 
But here he talks about elders being humble. And in verse 1 he says, The elders who are among you I exhort. This word elder, it can also be translated bishops, shepherds, overseers. We see that pastors. We see that throughout the New Testament in different ways. These are men selected for leadership roles in the local church. By the way, their qualifications are given in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. So if you get an opportunity, you can go and read that. Not just anybody. He's not just talking about older people here. He's talking about those who are serving in the role of pastor or elder or overseer. And they have certain qualifications that they are to possess before they uh, are qualified to be in that role. Uh, Peter here says, he says, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow, fellow elder. Peter, now this is in itself a, in a sense, humility, isn't it? Because Peter could have said, I'm an apostle. Peter could have said, I'm a super elder. I'm one of the leaders of the church. Peter, who walked with Jesus, Peter who had been with Jesus, Peter who saw the resurrected Jesus, he simply says, I'm an elder just like you are. I'm a fellow elder. So not only does he say elders need to be humble, he also shows that he practices what he preaches. One of the challenges of being a pastor is to try to walk the talk that you preach uh, because not only is God's word applicable to you, it's applicable to me too. So when Peter says, you elders be humble, he starts by saying, look, I'm a fellow elder. I'm just one of you. I'm just one that, that's here with you. Peter did not see himself as the leader of the church. Peter did not see himself as a pope. Peter saw himself as a fellow elder. And notice what else he says about himself. He says, not only am I a fellow elder there in verse 1, he says, I, witnesses, I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. I am a witness of Jesus' suffering. He saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed. and He prayed that uh, the Father's, that this cup could pass from him if it could, but ultimately let the Father's will be done. Matthew talks about the fact that uh, that was Jesus and his suffering. Peter very likely saw the crucifixion. Peter saw Jesus in his sufferings, but he also says that not only am I a witness of the sufferings, I am also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Peter got a glimpse of that at the Mount of Transfiguration, didn't he? Remember when Peter and James and John went up on the mountain with Jesus and Jesus uh, all of a sudden became Glory, glorious in his appearance, and Elijah and Moses uh, appeared. And remember when Peter didn't know what to say, so he just says, uh, we ought to build a, a tent, a tabernacle for all y'all. So Peter had already got a glimpse of this glory. But Peter says, not only am I a witness of the sufferings of the Lord, I am a partaker of that glory. But notice what it says. He says that glory is to be revealed. It hasn't been revealed yet. Can I submit to you, Christ followers, that you too are a partaker of the glory of Jesus Christ? We 
see part of that in our communion that we're going to have here in just a little while. We take that until we get till Jesus comes back. But when Jesus comes back, not only are we going to see him in his glory, but we too are going to have glorified bodies. That's coming. That's going to be here. So he says, first of all, Peter does, elders, I'm just a fellow elder. I witnessed what Jesus went through. I saw his glory, but I'm going to be a partaker of the future glory. And then look what he says in verse 2. We find the role or the job of an elder. The role and the job of an elder, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. The role of a pastor, the role of an elder, the role of a bishop is to shepherd the flock. Now, Peter uses the word here. He says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. The word overseer is defined as one who oversees a project or a group of people. Uh, the, the, the role of the shepherd is to shepherd the flock, to oversee the flock. And there are two tasks involved in the shepherding the flock. And we won't turn there, but in John 21, remember when Jesus restored Peter? Uh, they, they met, he met the apostles there on the Sea of Galilee, and they ate breakfast together. And after breakfast, Jesus calls Peter to the side and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Well, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says, tend my sheep. Or shepherd my sheep. That's in John 21 verses 15 and 16. You can go read that later to make sure I'm not making this up. But Jesus tells Peter there are two jobs of a shepherd. To feed the sheep and tend to the sheep. And that's true of a physical shepherd. One of the shepherd's main jobs is to make sure that the sheep have feed. That they can eat. And also to take care of the sheep. To make sure the wolves don't get them. To make sure that they stay out of the mud holes to make sure that they don't get into swift water. Uh, remember the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. A shepherd is to feed the flock, and in, in the sense of our world today, as a pastor, the shepherd is to feed the flock. That's what we're doing this morning. By God's word, God's word is the meat. God, God's word is our nutrition. It's a shepherd's job to preach the word. And can I tell you this? As long as I'm pastor of Old New Hope Baptist Church, we're going to preach the word. Uh, if you're part of a church where the preacher's preaching anything different than the word of God, he's not feeding the flock. Uh, sheep can't grow without food. As Christians, young sheep, we, we can't grow without food. We, we have to have, we, I, my job is to feed the flock. Now first I have to feed myself before I can feed you. But part of my job is to feed the flock. The second part of a shepherd's duty is to tend the flock, take care of the flock. Uh, check on you, to be with you, to help you with, with certain things. Uh, to be sure the wolves stay away. To uh, take care of and make a, a healthy flock. Because you know what happens? I'm not real smart. 
I was a music major, so I could only count to four. And, and I'm not real smart, but, but I do know this. And I, I grew up in the city, too, so I'm a city boy as well. So, But I know this about sheep. If you put sheep in a field, and you make sure that the sheep have food, and you make sure that the enemies stay away from the sheep, you take care of the sheep, you put the sheep in a healthy atmosphere, you know what happens when you feed the sheep and the sheep are healthy? You get more sheep, right? That's how that works. Sheep make sheep. Shepherds don't make sheep. Uh, sheep make sheep. You say, well, what are you trying to get at, Brother Andy? What I'm trying to tell you is this. I can't, on my own, make sheep. But you know what? Every one of us knows people. We're related to people. We have friends. We work with people. We need to tell those, as you're being fed, I'm not giving you food, and the Lord isn't giving us food just to get us big heads and have all this knowledge. I don't give you a handout, I try to most weeks, just so you'll have something to fill out. And have something to do, or if you get bored, you can write on the back of it your grocery list or whatever. I give you a handout so hopefully you can learn about God's Word and, and how to break down a paragraph. But what's he talking about? So you can share the food that you have with other people. One of the things that Acts goes out of its way to show about the early church is the fact that they opened their doors to people. They constantly were feeding people, not only the word, but they were eating together and they were getting to know people. We need to invite our friends to church. Now, the church service shouldn't be the major outreach program of the church. And I understand that the major purpose of our assembly is to worship together and to equip ourselves to go out of our doors and be the church. Can I tell you that if you invite your friends to church, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Amen. I don't know what the sermon topic is going to be each week, but I tell you, we're going to talk about Jesus. Because other things might make you feel good, but you can't be saved outside of Jesus. You can't be built up outside of God's Word. And I'm convinced that you can take the world's worst sermon and the Holy Spirit can take God's word out of that sermon and bring fruit. On one very snowy day, matter it snowed so much the pastor couldn't get to church. And so one of the deacons, he said, I'm not a preacher, but I'll do my best to give God's word. He presented a gospel message. It's from what I understand, that man never preached again. But that day, he was at the right place at the right time. And there was a young fellow there named Charles Spurgeon that heard God's word that day and gave his life to Christ and became the prince of the preachers. 
You say, well, I can't do anything for Jesus. I'm not eloquent. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do that. Can I tell you? You can tell them about Jesus. And let God do the rest. Point them to Scripture. And let God do the rest. But anyway, getting back to, to shepherds. Tending the sheep and, and taking care of the sheep. Feeding the sheep, taking care of the sheep. What should the attitude of the shepherd be? Well, first he's an overseer. He's one who oversees a project or a group of people. But then look here at verse 2. He gives three nights, three negatives, and then three positives. He says, first of all, the attitude of the shepherd should be, you, you should shepherd not by compulsion, but willingly. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Then he says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And then finally he says, not as being lords over, but as examples. And that, that all comes out of verse 2 there. Well, what's, what's Peter saying? He says, first of all, not by compulsion, but willingly. He's saying, you're not forced. A pastor, a bishop, an overseer, an elder... They're not voluntold to fill that position. Oh, guess what? We need the position of an elder filled, so you're going to be the elder. No, he says, it's not by compulsion. It's willingly. The first qualification of a, of a bishop or a shepherd in 1 Timothy is the fact that it's an office that's desired. It's something that, that you want to do. So it's not forced, but it's willingly. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Second, not eager for money, but eager to serve. That's what not for dishonest gain, but eagerly means. Not be eager for money, but be eager to serve. Can I tell you that any pastor, any church leader that's in a leadership role, if his primary purpose of fulfilling that role is for money or for profit, he's doing it for the wrong reasons. Now, it's not wrong to take care of the preacher. Scripture talks about that. I'm not going to get into, into that. But a pastor should not get rich off the backs of the church members. Does that make sense? Not for dishonest gain, not, not for greed, not for, not for the money, not for the profit, but eagerly. Be eager to serve. Be eager, eager to be a shepherd. Be eager to take care of the sheep. I saw a cowboy movie here a while back, and it had Tom Selleck in it, so you know any Tom Selleck western is bound to be actual and factual and true. But Tom Selleck's cows, can't, you know, we think of a cowboy as a glamorous, you know, a, a, get to work outside and get long little doggies and all this kind of stuff, where Tom Selleck's cows kept getting in the mud hole. And so to get them out of the mud hole, he had to get down in the mud hole with them and, and get them out. And the fence kept tearing down, so he kept having to build the fence and putting the fences back. And when it was cold, the water would freeze over. So guess what? He had to get up when it was cold outside and go bust the ice up so the cows could have something to drink. You know what I decided? 
after watching that Tom Selleck movie, being a cattle rancher is hard work. Being a shepherd is hard work. And a shepherd should not be in that role if he's only there for money. He needs to be eager to serve. He needs to be eager to help. He needs to have the heart of a servant. That's what Peter's getting out here. Finally, he says, don't be lords over. Don't be a, a leader that says, my way or the highway. And there are pastors that are that way. They're, they're very type A, alpha, male, gung-ho. This is the way we're going to do it. And this, or if we don't do it my way, then I'm just going to leave. That's not what pa pastors are called to do. Pastors are called to be shepherds, to work with sheep. As a flock of God's people, we are called to work together. I have a role as a shepherd to perform. We all have different gifts that the Holy Spirit gives each one of us. And each of us, if we'll use our gifts together, old new hope will be what God wants old new hope will be, to be. If we start wanting our way, and well, I think it ought to be like this, and, and we just we double down and we say, this is just the way it ought to be, we're not going to have a loving congregation. <coughs> we're not going to be able to reach the lost. Because did you know this? I'm convinced of this as much as I am that uh, Miss Joanne's outfit's red and black. This is how convinced I am. And by the way, her outfit's red and black, okay? I'm convinced visitors, if they spend any time with a church group, they can feel tension. And they can feel negativity in a church group. You can tell it. Uh, have you ever gone to church where when you were there you felt like you were stepping on eggshells? That you know people were afraid that if you say something to the wrong person or say this? or And you get to where you don't want to go to church. And y'all, it ought not be that way. I've got a cat. And my cat's name is Toad. I know that's a crazy name for a cat. But when we got that little cat, she was a little bitty gray kitten. And she was fat and short. So we just called her, Leandra said, that's Toad. She started calling the cat Toad. So, but anyway, every morning when I wake up, Toad's right there at the door, meowing. Because she wants her food. She's eager to come to the door. Because she knows her human's going to feed her. She has me trained very, very well. Can I tell you that as sheep, we ought to have that same attitude when we come to church to get fed that Toad has in the morning. Toad's excited when the food guy comes. And whether it's me preaching or anyone filling God's word from this pulpit, we ought to come to we ought to be excited to come to church. If not, something's wrong. And we need to, to try to ask the Lord to help us. But shepherds are to be humble. Not by compulsion, but willingly. 
not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over, but example. Then in verse 4, the reward of an elder or a shepherd. With the chief, the chief, I don't know why that's hard. The chief shepherd. That's hard for me to say. When the chief shepherd appears, verse 4, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. A shepherd must remember that he is under the authority of the chief shepherd. Y'all, as, as your shepherd and as your pastor, I have a boss, and it's not you. It's Jesus. Now, we all work together, and we all work to fulfill our roles, but y'all, Jesus is our head. That's kind of where I'm planning on going next. If you notice, we're in chapter 5 of 1 Peter. We're almost done with this little book. Uh, and when we finish this book, I'm going to have a few standalone sermons, but the next sermon that I've got planned is we're going to look at letters from Jesus. Now, you ever want to read somebody else's mail? You ever get somebody else's mail in your mailbox and you, you wonder... I, we, one time we got mail from the IRS is our neighbor's mail. Man, I wanted to know what the IRS had to say to my neighbor. <laughs> well, we're going to study the seven churches of Asia, the letters to the seven churches of Asia in Revelation 2 and 3. Jesus writes them letters. And that's where we're headed next. That chief shepherd, we're gonna, that, that theme's going to come up through all of chapter 2 and 3. And then we're going to ask the question, what if Jesus wrote, wrote Old New Hope a letter? What would that letter say? But that, that's coming. The reward of a shepherd, Peter says, is a crown of glory that does not fade away. The shepherd's reward for a job well done is a crown of glory that won't fade away. The shepherd has a big responsibility. James 3 verse 1, James warns, don't many people be teachers or leaders because they have a grave responsibility. Hebrews 13, 17 says that the leaders of the church are accountable for your souls. When I stand before God, I'm going to give an account for your souls, how well your soul was taken care of. So the responsibility of a shepherd is great, but then so's the reward. The shepherd's reward for a job well done, is a crown of glory that won't fade away. But can I tell you this? Don't forget, you're going to get something that won't fade away either. Look back at chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. First Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and look at this, and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you. A shepherd's crown of glory is not going to fade away but your inheritance will not fade away either. You're going to get an inheritance that won't fade away. I'm driving an old 2003 Honda Civic. 
And whoever had it before me didn't take too good a care on the inside. So it's got rips in the upholstery. The little thing that comes down where you rest your arm, it doesn't stay down unless you rest your arm on it. If you take your arm off, it flops back up. Uh, it shakes and it rattles and starting to smell. It uses some oil. That car's wearing out. It fades away. We may live in a house. But you know what happens to that house over time? The roof needs repair. The plumbing has to be fixed. The electric has to be updated. If not, eventually, that house is going to wear out. Have you ever driven around the countryside and just, just right on your way home today, look at the old barns that are abandoned, that are kind of leaning over and half the sides gone and the roofs. At one time, a farmer was farming out of that barn. But that barn has faded away. Y'all, not only does our car and our houses and our barns fade away, so do these earthly bodies. How many of y'all at 60 feel as good as you felt when you were 20? And y'all, those that are 20, it's coming. <laughs> it's getting there. Enjoy your 20s. What I'm saying is anything on this side of eternity is going to fade away. As a shepherd, more than anything else, when I stand before the Lord, I want Jesus Christ to say, well done. And I want to get my crown of glory that won't fade away. But you know what? We're going to get and you're going to get an inheritance that won't fade away either. And I'm convinced that when we get to heaven, there won't be any weeds in the garden. I'm convinced when we get to heaven, there won't be any rocks in the garden. Now, I believe we're still going to have works and jobs because work is ordained of God. That God, before the fall, Adam and Eve were to tend to the garden and work the garden. After the fall... God added work to work. That's the curse. But one of these days, the Lord's either going to come or call, and we're going to get our inheritance that's never going to fade away. That mansion in heaven, you won't have to change the roof. You won't have to change the plumbing, the electric. It's made to last forever. The body that we get, our glorified bodies, it's not going to fall apart. That cancer will be gone. That heart trouble will be gone. Your arthritis will be gone. Your weaknesses will be gone. Your mind will be sharp. And it will be that way forever. What a terrific thought. Elders, pastors are to be humble. But you know what? Sheep are to be humble too. And that's the next thing that next subject Peter takes up here in verse 5 likewise you younger people submit yourselves to your elders yes all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility you younger people submit yourselves to your elders now this word elder in verse 5 
is different than the word elder in verse 1. The word elder in verse 1 in Greek, it's talking about church leaders. It's an office. In verse 5, when he says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders, he's talking about older people. Young folks, be submissive to older folks. Respect and honor older folks. And then he stops himself, and he says, you know what? As a matter of fact, all of you be subject to each other. So in other words, older folks, we ought to be submissive to younger folks. Younger folks, be submissive to the older. What's Peter saying? He's saying, as Christians, we need to have the attitude that it's not about us. It's not about what we like, what we want, what we say, what we think. We need to learn to submit ourselves to one another. Sheep are to be humble. Shepherds are to be humble. Well, why should we be humble? Well, before we get there, notice what he says in verse 5. He says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves. Y'all, that's a command. Submit yourselves. It's a voluntary action. It's something we do. It is difficult sometimes to submit ourselves. I was in a hurry the other day at Kroger in Dixon. And I was kind of walking as briskly as I could walk in my body, which isn't real brisk, not for very long. But boy, I, was, I just had stepped up to the checkout line, getting ready to check out. And this woman jumped right in front of me and went into the checkout counter before me. And boy, right on the tip of my tongue, I, I almost then I thought about the sermon I was working on. <laughs> Remember what I said, preaching to yourself isn't always the easiest thing to do? I said, now, Brother Andy, you can't yell at this woman and get up in the sermon at the pulpit on Sunday and preach about being humble. So anyway, I, I let her go. And she got done and I got done. And afterwards she said, you know, she goes, I cut in front of you. I'm sorry. So I got an apology out of it. So that worked out all right. But being submissive is something we have to consciously think about doing. When that person cuts us off in front of traffic, my first instinct is to fuss or to lay on the horn. But you know what Peter's telling us to do? Be humble. If you didn't hit him and he didn't hit you, now, I could get real self-righteous and say, well, I'm blowing my horn so we won't do it to somebody else. No, I'm not. I'm blowing my horn because it feels good. Right? <laughs> if we're honest. Submit yourselves one to another. And then he says, be clothed with humility. This phrase, be clothed in humility, it means deliberately be humble. This morning, all of us put our clothes on. Uh, Miss Cozy, Marie's mama, was in her mood this morning where she was roaming around the house looking at stuff. And uh, she and Marie and I were in our bedroom getting dressed, and I got to thinking, Miss Cozy comes in here, she's going to see more than what she intended to see. <laughs> we were deliberately putting our clothes on. Well, just as deliberately as we put our clothes on, we are to clothe ourselves with what? 
Humility. That's a deliberate action. It's something we think about and that we do. We need to be humble. Very quickly, why should we be humble? Two reasons. Verse 5, because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud or he fights against or he stands in opposition with against the proud and he gives grace to the humble. This is a verse that is first given in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 34. And Peter repeats it it here. There are over 22 verses in scripture that deal with a God follower humbling himself or herself before God. Can I tell you this? Either we humble ourselves or God will humble us. Either we humble ourselves or God will humble us. He'll do it for us. God will get us where we need to be. At one point in time, Scripture tells us, at some point in time in the future, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Either we humble ourselves or God will do it for us. These different college football and basketball teams, they, they tickle me. They'll, they'll find out their coach did something wrong, and so they, they discipline themselves. They'll put sanctions on themselves so that they hope that NCAA doesn't put sanctions for them. And that's probably true in any job or any field. It's better to sanction yourself, discipline yourself, than for somebody else. Well, y'all, first reason we need to humble ourselves is because God will resist us if we don't. God's going to be against us. Pride comes before the fall. Any project, I just thought about this two or three seconds before it comes out of my mouth, so I hadn't thought this all the way through, but I think it's true. Any project that has pride at its core is not a project God can get behind. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's the first reason that we should humble ourselves. Secondly, in verse 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. The first reason we should be humble, because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Secondly, if we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. If we will humble ourselves, God will lift us up. When? In due time. In his time. When he's ready. Remember Joseph back in Genesis? The Joseph that his brothers threw him in a hole. And then they sold him into slavery. And Joseph got to Egypt and was working for a man named Potiphar. And... He was doing well there. God blessed him. God blessed Potiphar. Potiphar put Joseph in charge of everything in his house. And Potiphar's wife made a move on Joseph. And Joseph says, I cannot sin against my master and against God. I won't do this. And she grabs his clothes to rip them off of him. And he takes off running with his clothes in her hand. And so she says, when her 
husband comes home. That Hebrew slave you gave me tried to rape me, and so Joseph ended up in prison. But in due time, God, over and over in Genesis, in the life of Joseph, you go look, read Genesis 37 to 50, and you'll see this too. Over and over, Scripture tells us, and God was with Joseph. Now, was God with Joseph in the hole? Yeah. Was God with Joseph in Potiphar's house? Yes. Was God with Joseph in the prison? Yes. But in due time, in God's time, God lifted Joseph out of the prison into the palace and made him second in command of all of Egypt. If we'll humble ourselves, God will lift us up in due time. God's time is different than our time. I want to be raised up now. I want all the good stuff now. Lord, give me my reward now. God says, you need to learn a little patience, son. A little humility. In due time, I'll lift you up. And can I tell you that it's only after we humble ourselves that we can fully cast our cares on the Lord. It's only after we humble ourselves that we can fully cast our cares on the Lord. Look at verse 7. Verses 6 and 7 go together. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. You know, a prideful person tries to fix things themselves. And we in our pride, if we're not careful, we try to fix things ourselves as well. It is only when we humble ourselves that we can truly cast our cares on, on him. That word cast in Greek, when you cast something, it's more than just laying it. The idea of casting it is forcibly throwing it when you cast seed. It's something you forcibly throw your cares on God and say, God, you take care of this. We can't do that until we become humble, can we? We have to say we can't take care of ourselves. I can't take care of myself, Lord. You help me. As the old saying goes, if you think God is your co-pilot, or if God is your co-pilot, you need to change seats. It's when we humble ourselves that we can cast our cares on God. And look at this very last phrase in verse 7. For he cares for you. Y'all, if you're going through a hard time right now, that phrase ought to lift you up. God cares. The creator of the universe cares for you. We all know that God is capable. We all know that God is all-powerful. We all know that God is all-knowing. But did you know that this almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God cares about you? He's interested in what's going on in your life. 
He wants to lead you in his ways. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. You say, well, how do I know God cares for me? God cares for you, and the way you can know that is because Jesus died for you. God sent his son to die for you. Jesus, who is God, gave his life, gave his blood so that you might have that inheritance that won't fade away, so that I might be rewarded that crown of glory that won't fade away. Jesus loves you and he cares for you. If you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, by the way, both of those go together. You say, well, what do I need to do? First of all, admit you're a sinner. And that's something that every one of us in this room who are Christ followers, we've done. Because we are sinners. Sinners sin. You're not going to surprise God. You say, God, I'm a sinner. God's not going to say, oh, I didn't know that. Wow. He knows. Admit you're a sinner. Understand that you can't save yourself. The only way to save yourself is to live perfectly. And guess what, y'all? We can't do that. We couldn't get to God, so God sent his son to come to us to die. Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. But I trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His sacrifice is enough. I believe his resurrection from the dead proves that his sacrifice is enough. Lord, I I give my life to you. I want to make Jesus my Savior and my Lord. Lord, please save me. It's that simple. And maybe you've made that confession, but you quit living for the Lord. Maybe you wandered off. Maybe like a sheep, you've gotten off the wrong path. There was a hole in the fence and you climbed right on through it. And you got off over here and don't know how to get home. Can I tell you, you're like the prodigal son. When the prodigal son came to himself and realized where he was, he came home. Come home. Do you need to do that today?